Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. The Kidley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, but Kidley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm, and we're getting back into these position previews today. Um, I uh, spent a lot of time today watching the outside linebackers um, and, and writing something up that you can check out over at the DNVR.com. Um, it was it was a long day. It was a really long day. Um We'll dig into all of this in like a minute, but seriously, like I watched a couple of football games, just like watching not much of Carson Wells, honestly, because we know what Carson can do, but some of the other guys, because it was basically a three-way split of the other outside linebacker spot last season. And it, we'll, we'll dig into all the details, I guess. But the big thing is, you know, there, there weren't a whole lot of splash plays from that spot. You know, there wasn't a lot that I looked at. I was like, oh, this is something I got to cut up and include, you know, the whoever was out there basically, you know, maybe got pushed around a little bit, maybe made the play here or there. But uh, for the most part, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a position that was strong, wasn't a position that was all that weak either. Um, just another cog out there in a good defense, um, but certainly a spot where there's room for an upgrade. Um, and today we'll we'll start things off by talking about Carson, what the expectations for Carson should be this year, um, and then get into what's going to happen at that other outside linebacker spot. Because like I said, Guy Thomas, Jamar Montgomery, Josh Gustav, they basically split those snaps evenly last season. Now, Guy Thomas did miss a game and a half, so had he played the extra game and a half, he might have had an edge. He would have had an edge, um, but still pretty even. And we'll dig into those numbers and a bunch of other numbers and some of my thoughts and some of the things that we heard from uh, the outside linebackers coach, Brian Michalowski, this spring. And uh, that's the plan for today. I'm excited. I've got a lot to say and uh, I hope you guys are excited too um we're getting close to football season it's it's really close honestly I mean what camp is probably gonna start I don't think we have an official date yet um but I'm still very much expecting basically a Monday Wednesday Friday camp starting with the first Monday of August which I think is it's like August 2nd and today July 14th that's like what a little over two weeks away. We've got Pac-12 Media Day coming up in a week or two. Um, yeah, it's time to 
it's time to buckle down. Uh, and I'm excited for today. I'm excited for the next couple of weeks as we get ready for camp. And uh, I am really, 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 really excited for real football, which is not that far away. Um, before we get into all these outside linebackers, though, I do want to say a couple more words about the presenting sponsor of this podcast, the Colorado XOs. Uh, they do a whole bunch of cool stuff over there that you can follow along with with DMVR Rugby, um, whether it's a podcast, Twitter, on the website. Um, they're, they've got some stuff going on over the summer, too. And here's, here's what I'll plug. So if you uh, are a former athlete and you want to continue to be an athlete, but your career petered out for whatever reason, rugby might be the game for you. And uh, what the Colorado XOs do is take athletes from other sports, teach them how to play rugby. And in their first season this year, they got six guys into Major League Rugby over the course of the season. Like they just got signed because they're playing so well. Um, you can reach out to P P A S Q U E at glendale.co.us and let him know that you're interested. It's Peter Pass, the director of recruitment. Um, and I'm pretty sure they have like tryouts and they'll just let you know when the next tryout is. Uh, it's cool stuff. A great opportunity for uh, athletes who want to continue to be athletes. Again, that's P-A-S-Q-U-E at glendale.co.us. All right. So... Carson Wells. Um, I mean, there's so many different things that you can say about him, uh, and none of them really are bad things. Um, let's let's actually get into the very few bad things you can say, um, which he's basically kind of fixed over the last year or so. So if you go back to 2018, um, he was promising. There was a lot to like about what he did as, what would he be? He was a junior, so sophomore, so he would have been a redshirt freshman that year. And particularly late in the season, he really came on, got a bunch of people excited for him. Um, he started some games, played quite a bit. And 2019, there was a lot of hype. I remember early on in my time with DMVR, at the time it was BSN Denver, it was like my first first real day on the job. Um, and basically what happened was, so I spent like a few weeks in the office, like helping out with some stats stuff, helping out with some other stuff, but also spending a lot of time catching up on CU football, learning everything that there is to learn about CU football. And that process is honestly still ongoing two years later, but I guess what, almost two years exactly. That would have been like two years plus two weeks ago that this all started. Um, but in that like month or so, before I actually started doing the podcast, started reporting, when we announced that the buffs are coming back. That was the time for me to like learn what was going on so I didn't sound like an idiot when the time came. The first day, uh, I'm in the office, and Ryan says, okay, have you heard of LaVisca Chenault? And I said, no, I have not. And then he showed me the CSU game from the, that would have been the 2018 season. I was like, oh, wow, this guy's for real. Go down the Visca rabbit hole, and then like there's he goes off to do whatever he's doing. I wander back in the office to talk to Andre, who some of you, mostly Broncos fans, I guess, might know. Um, and I was talking to Andre, and one of the first things he brought up 
was Carson Wells and how excited he was for Carson Wells because of what we'd seen from him the, the year before. And so going into that season, he was one of the guys I was really interested in. I was talking to him before the season about all that kind of stuff. And um, the truth is he disappointed. Um, he, like I said, started all year. I think maybe he like missed two games because of an injury, something like that. Um, but even though he missed a couple games, he actually played 67% more snaps than he did the season before. So think about that. That's not quite like doubling your opportunities, but it's, it's on your way there though. 67%. Um, that year before though, that 2018 season, he had three tackles for a loss. Oh, sorry, sorry. I just blew this. Um, he had uh, 6.5 tackles for a loss. He had four and a half sacks in 2018. Again, after that in 2019, 67% more snaps. Everybody's excited. Wound up with three tackles for a loss, about half as many, and one sack instead of the four and a half. It was disappointing. Um, there were certainly things that you can point to and say like, ah, that went well. You know, you could, he was strong. He played the run game pretty well. He was able to set the edge, but he was not somebody you looked at and said, this is going to be a star on this defense. You flash forward to 2020 and what the first defensive possession of the season, he picks off a pass and returns it to the three yard line and sets up, uh, an easy score for the offense. And what, the game wound up being 46-42? Big touchdown. And on top of that, like, obviously started the momentum, all that kind of stuff. And he really just took off from there. Um, let's see. First in the nation last year in tackles for loss per game. Sixth in the nation in sacks per game. It was a really great season for Carson. Um, a season that makes you think... He is among the best outside linebackers in the country. And, you know, we'll get into, like, should we be a little bit skeptical because it was a short season? You know, in, like, a similar vein, like, Nate Landman, very, very good linebacker. And I don't want to take anything away from him. But, you know, you look at things like four sacks when he played five games, not even five games, that's an incredible rate for an inside linebacker. Also, three of those sacks came in the San Diego State game. And what do we take away from that? Because obviously, like, he was dominant in that game and a key piece of why Colorado won that game. But also, would we trust it a little bit more if those sacks were spread out of the course of the season instead of a lot of them coming in one game? I don't know. And those are the, the tough conversations you have to have when you have a six game season and in Nate's case, a four and a half game season. And at the end of the day, you really can't complain about four and a half sacks from your, uh, you know, I think he was just four sacks from your starting middle linebacker. Um, Carson, not quite like as drastic as that. The, the sacks were all spread out. The tackles for loss were spread out. You know, he was, he was very impactful in every game as, as was Nate Landman. Um, so I guess I said we'd get into this later. We're already into it. Do we worry about Carson regressing? And and by regressing, we don't mean, you know, being a, a bad outside linebacker. 
that won't happen. He has proven that he is a good outside linebacker. And I think at the very least, his absolute floor this season is either all Pac-12 second team, all Pac-12 honorable mention. It's probably all Pac-12 honorable mention is his real floor if everything goes wrong, assuming he's healthy and knock on wood, whatever. Um, But the ceiling, obviously, I think is first team All-American. Uh, we saw the production last year. I think that based on production alone, obviously, first in the nation in tackles for loss per game, sixth in sacks per game, that is that is first-team All-America numbers right there. Add on top of that that he was way up on the leaderboard in passes defense throughout the season. He picked off the one pass. I think he got another last year, too. So last year, stat-wise, he had a strong case, but you're not going to give it to somebody who plays in six games, five games in the regular season, which is dumb, but we don't need to dig into that right now. Um, because he did that, the, the ceiling, though, is obviously first-team All-American and one of the most dominant pass rushers in all of college football. Now, we've set the ceiling, we've set the floor, what should be like the the expectation? You know, when we say Carson, this is what you need to do this season. Otherwise, we're going to be disappointed. And I think that that probably is, you know, expectation should probably be first team all pack 12 and it's if anything, if it's not that, then it's second team all pack 12. But he's playing so well that Buffs fans are very upset at the end of the season that he wasn't first-team All-Pac-12. What makes it tough is, I guess, I'm not sure what they list Kayvon Thibodeau as up at Oregon, and that might just be one of those spots right off the bat. Um, you, you, The ZTF up at Washington, he has the injury that I'm pretty sure we know already is keeping him out for the season. So there goes one of the competitors. There's always guys that pop up. I mean, you got Drake Jackson down at USC. So I think that probably second team All-Pac-12 with a strong case for first team All-Pac-12 that should probably be what we say is, you know, if you get that, you're happy with what he provided this year. And if he winds up any lower than that, then that's when we can say, oh, that was disappointing from Carson. Again, it's tough to set these expectations when so much of last year was a small sample size. But Carson does so many things well. I think, obviously, it starts with when he's getting upfield. You know, whether that's rushing the quarterback, whether that's setting the edge in the running game, whether that's penetrating in the running game and getting in the backfield and making plays, all of that kind of stuff, he's he's among the very best. And when you look at the coverage ability from the outside linebacker spot, he's among the very best there. And I noted this in the, the story I wrote about these guys, but, you know, it, it doesn't take crazy attributes to be good in coverage from the outside linebacker spot. You know, it's not like, 
it's not like covering from cornerback where first of all you've got to be able to be fast enough to not just get burned down the field then from there you got to be able to to read where the receiver's going and and break quickly because those guys are going to break quickly and stay on top of them and on top of that you don't know when they're going to break is it just like a quick slant route is it going to be a 12 yard post or whatever at any point they could go in so many different directions Covering from the outside linebacker spot, especially in Colorado's defense, means that you're taking a few steps back, you're dropping into the flat, you're likely covering a tight end or a running back, and you do have to read like which one of those guys it is, then get on them and make a play. It isn't super physically demanding, um, although you know having those traits definitely helps. What Carson does so well is just feel where the play is going. You know, there's so many screen passes he broke up. You know, so many short little passes. You know, I brought up the interception, the UCLA game. That was one of those. Just drops into the flat, gets underneath the receiver. The The quarterback doesn't really see him dropping there. And so he gets up and gets the ball and returns it. You know, he just about had another one of those a little bit further downfield. Um, but it was like up above his head. I can't remember if he got two hands on it. I think he did. But it was one where it was, you probably call it a dropped interception, but if it was any tougher to catch, you don't call it a drop probably. Um, and throughout the season, he's, he's breaking up passes. He's in good position, so he's not getting targeted that much. He's baiting receivers. And again, that's not, that's not the appeal of Carson Wells, but the fact that he has that on top of the other skills, it just, it just makes him really, really tough to game plan for and and not even game plan for, but just to, to plan for on every single play, you know, because, because what are you doing? If you're the quarterback, say you're, you're dropping back for whatever passing play, you got four or five guys in a route, just a pretty basic passing play. What are you worried about? Well, you're going to keep an eye on Carson. Who's going to be rushing from your blind side. You know, that's, that's something you check on and that's something you worry about. And you're first of all in the quarterback's head, if you're Carson Wells, but then from there you're in like the, the left tackles head too, or if you're on the other side, the right tackles head, whoever, and they're going to have an eye on you. They're going to be ready to block you because you have proven to be the guy that he is. Now, what happens if he drops back in coverage? Well, first of all, that tackle who's just been staring him down, ready to stop him. Now he's stood up blocking nobody and then going and trying to find work. So you already have created this kind of numbers advantage, at least for a second, depending on how quickly the lineman can recover. And then on top of that, the quarterback is so worried about you as a pass rusher, it's easy to forget about him as a cover guy. And, and it's so easy to not see him, especially if there is a pass rush coming from the other side and he turns back and knows he has a running back in the flat or a, a tight end running a quick little out route. Carson can just drop back a little bit. And he's so, he's, he's almost like sneaky back there. You know, he stays out of the quarterback's eyes. And I don't want to say like he's baiting the quarterback. He's definitely reading the quarterback's eyes well. You can see that on tape. But... There's just so much to like about Carson and the way all the different parts of his game complement each other. And again, it's not, I mean, 
All it is is like there's three things that an outside linebacker could really be asked to do. I guess four. He could be asked to to play man coverage, and you don't love those skills. I don't remember seeing too much of that on tape. I remember a couple snaps with like Joshka and man, some other guys, but you know, he's not going to be perfect there. <laughs> but the fact that you can stop the run, not even stop the run, but be very impactful in the run game by getting into the backfield, getting splash plays for the defense. Um, he can rush the passer and last year he rushed the passer as well as just about anybody in the country. The numbers would say as well as anybody in the country. And then on top of that, he plays in coverage. Well, it's a, it's honestly just a blessing for Colorado to have Carson Wells. And again, what does he look like? Can he, can he produce those numbers? Because that is the weird thing where it's like, you know, cornerback isn't like a production spot. It's not It's not a position where you say, well, the numbers say you did this. You know, running back, that's a production spot. You put up 1,000 yards. You did it with five yards per carry. You, you scored this many touchdowns. Cornerback, it's like, you if you're really good, they're not even throwing at you. You know, and so much of what they do is not quantifiable. But when it comes to the outside linebacker position, specifically in like a 3-4, um, more so than in a 4-3, it is more about production. And the numbers, there is there are a few stats that make it kind of quantifiable. And you could see how, you know, he's he's a step away from the quarterback a few times, and that's the difference between a nine-sack season and a six-sack season. And when it comes down to it, can he get those numbers up to, I mean, you really want a sack per game from him. And that's a high standard, especially in college football. But I think that that's what you're looking for. And if you can get another tackle for loss per game in there too, maybe even a little bit more than that, then you're really, really happy with what you're getting from Carson Wells. Those are ridiculously high standards for a college football player who, you know, isn't your Kayvon Thibodeau who's going to be a top five pick in the draft next year. So, again, it's it's going to be a big year for Carson because if he puts up the numbers that he put up last year over the, the you know, at that rate over the course of 12 games instead of six he's going to be getting a lot of attention and based on what he did last year, he deserves it. Um, so I think those are basically all my thoughts on Carson. Um, again, it's, it's kind of a question where he fits in. You know, I'm not, I'm not skeptical about him as being a good football player. I'm skeptical about whether he really is, one of the four best, five best outside linebackers in the entire country. And we kind of just have to wait and see at this point. Um, so, yeah. We'll get into just like a little bit more Carson stuff because there are some numbers in just a second we're going to get to. Actually, this is probably a good time to take a break. Um, so we're going to take a break real quick and then jump into some of the other guys. Breckenridge Brewery is incredible. Um, if you guys haven't been out to the farmhouse yet, you should get out there. Uh, they have a whole bunch of really awesome food. They have obviously a whole bunch of Breckenridge beers on tap and more than all that stuff. It's just like a really cool place. It's on their campus. I think it's like a, it's like a close to $40 million campus they have out there where they brew a bunch of beer, obviously, but then also serve food and they have like 
a gazebo outside where there's like a bunch of different games. There's like cornhole. There's all sorts of that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, just in the summer, it's a very nice place to hang out. You know, even if the weather's bad, the farmhouse is really nice. Just like super high ceilings, kind of like, I don't know what you call Rustic. Rustic is a good word, but also new. And so not like, I don't know. Some, some of the rustic places that I've been in Montana, they're like, they're too rustic. This to me is like, uh, yeah, we're, we're out here at the farmhouse. There's a nice view. There's like a sunset going on. It's rustic, but it's still like clean. And you're not thinking like, I hope there aren't mice, for example. It's just like a, it's a, it's a cool spot and something that you guys should definitely uh, check out if you get time. It's down in Littleton, by the way. Um, they also have like curbside pickup. Uh, they do delivery through the Drizzly app. Um, or if you're just interested in the beer, obviously, like you can get that there too. Or you can go to King Supers or Costco or uh, use the beer locator at the uh, Breckenridge Brewery website. It'll tell you exactly where to go. Oh, also, if you're doing the pickup thing, if you use the code DNVR, just say like DNVR to them, you get $5 off. So that's a cool thing that you should take advantage of. Yeah, I think that's, those are most of my Breckenridge thoughts today. Um, also, I want to remind you guys, if you are looking for a job, consider Ball. Uh, Ball Corporation is uh, the leader in basically all things aluminum. Um, they recycle all of the aluminum. Aluminum is actually infinitely recyclable, recyclable, and that's why Ball has like based everything around aluminum because uh, you can just reuse it and change it into some different shape and then reuse it again, and then put it into another shape. I mean, basically, all the different things you could think of to make out of aluminum, you could theoretically do that with the same piece of aluminum. Um, what they're best known for is the cans. They made over a billion cans last year. It's a crazy number of cans. Um, and again, it sounds like, oh, no, all those cans going into the landfill. It's like, well, hopefully they're being recycled because, again, it's infinitely recyclable. 75% of all the aluminum ever – oh, I got that wrong. It's 101 billion cans. Can you imagine that number? 101 billion. So that's like – how many Americans are there? There's like 300 million. So they just made like – so three cans – per American. And it's, it's now like 340. That was like 10 years ago. It was 300, but yeah. So it's like three cans per American that gets you to a billion times a hundred. So that's like 300 cans per American. My mind is kind of blown. Forget what else I was saying. The point is they're doing a bunch of like cool stuff. Um, they're, they're protecting the environment. They're cutting emissions, doing all those great things. Um, and also again, making a product that is sustainable. Um, but they have a 400 person plant here in town in golden. Um, and this is the demand for sustainable aluminum beverage cans is greater than ever. Uh, so definitely, uh, if you're looking for a job, that's a great option. You can text golden to seven, seven, two, two, two. Um, or you can go to jobs.ball.com and search for golden. That's jobs.ball.com and search for golden or simply text golden to 77222. Okay. 
um, back into these linebackers. So it's one of those things where like, if you, if you were just like grading Colorado's outside linebackers, you're like, yeah, this is a B minimum and probably not all that tough to get to an A just because Carson Wells does so much, um, to produce despite there being two spots that you have to account for. Um, in terms of that other spot, like I said, last year there were three guys who basically split that time. And the way it worked was, I guess, Guy Thomas was the starter. And that's where we should probably start. Um, but he got hurt, I believe, in the San Diego State game and then missed the Arizona game with an injury, wound up like it was a game and a half or so they missed. When he, when he was out in the Arizona game, Colorado actually started a fifth defensive back, and so Isaiah Lewis got a start in that spot. And then the next week, when actually Guy was back, Jamar got the start, Jamar Montgomery. And then the week after that, again, all healthy, it was back to Isaiah Lewis in that starting spot. So... If you look through like the start sheet, it was Guy Thomas, Guy Thomas, Guy Thomas, Isaiah Lewis, Jamar Montgomery, Isaiah Lewis. And that's how things went last year. Um, I guess we should say um, Guy Thomas, Jamar Montgomery, both juniors this year. Um, Josh Gustav, a redshirt freshman again this year, um, despite this being what? It'll be his third year on campus. Um, let's get into some of these numbers. So, um, here's how the snaps were last year. Carson Wells, 364. Josh Kagustav, 115. Guy Thomas, 104. Jamar Montgomery, also 104. Again, Guy stays healthy. He probably gets another 40 snaps or so, plus those snaps are coming away from Joshka and in particular Jamar. Um, so it was kind of guy number one, Joshka number two, Jamar number three. But you also have to account for the fact that Jamar started that other game despite Guy being back from injury. Maybe they were just like, you know, not, not trying to like limit the workload, I guess would be the way to put it. Um, so yeah, those are some thoughts there. Basically what happened was early in the season, Guy would play the first couple downs. Joshka would play third downs in other pass rushing situations. And Jamar was kind of the sub for both of them. Later in the season, things got a little bit blurrier. Um, but here's, here are some numbers that I thought were really interesting. Um, I went to Pro Football Focus, looked up what was going on on the plays that these guys were on the field, um, and they broke it into run defense, and then on passing plays, they split into pass rush and coverage. So, again, the offense decides, obviously, whether to run or pass the ball, but the defense of coordinator or the outside linebackers coach, whoever's working those rotations they know whether it's more likely to be a run play or a pass play. Um, and so while it is kind of like a little fuzzy, you can definitely see some trends in who is out there in run defense, who is out there in pass defense. And there was a large enough sample size that 
we can trust these numbers. Um, here's a good baseline, though. Again, Carson played more than these other three combined, and so he played, like, a whole lot. And not quite, like, every snap, but he was getting up there. He played 37% run defense. He was pass rushing 47% of the time. And he was in coverage the other 16% of the time. So again, 37% run plays. And then there was a 47 to 16 pass rush to coverage rate. Guy Thomas, who started the majority of the year, eh, half of the year, and then still played a lot um, afterward. He was out there on run defense 50% of the time. He was pass rushing 40% of the time, covering 10% of the time. Um, Jamar Montgomery, 37%, same as Carson in run defense. 42%, a little less than Carson, but pretty close. Um, in pass rush, 21% coverage. Um, basically, you can tell just very similar to what Carson was doing over the course of like every snap. Here's the thing though. Here's the, the numbers that really were different. Joshka run defense, 23% of the time pass rush 67% of the time and in coverage 10% of the time. Um, so obviously they want him out there rushing the passer. And that's not a surprise given some of the things that uh, we heard from Brian Michalowski during camp this year. I think it was maybe the most, probably, yeah, probably like the loftiest like comparison that we got during all of camp from any of the coaches. Um, but here's the quote. He's developed some great signature rushes, which has been great to see. Some rushes that are very similar to Joey Bosa. I know that's a lofty comparison, but they work a lot of similar pass rush moves, and he does a great job of hand placement at the point of attack. So yeah, absolutely a lofty comparison. For those of you who don't know who Joey Bosa is, um, two-time first-team NFL All-Pro, and he's only like, what, halfway through his career? Maybe not even halfway through his career. So there's probably more of that stuff on the way. Um, let's talk more about Joshka. So, he uh, he actually played the most snaps last year. I don't think that would have been true if not for the injuries. Um, but again, obviously, as kind of the pass rush guy. Um, again, he's the youngest of the group, back for a second redshirt freshman season. On top of that, he actually played three years of high school football in the United States because he moved here from Germany. Um so you think about kind of the trajectory he was on from being, again, moving before his sophomore year to California to play football in America through last season being a pass rush specialist on the field. Um, he's been on a pretty crazy trajectory that could continue. Um, on top of that, obviously, there was no spring ball last year. Fall camp was shortened impacts younger players more than older players just because they you would think need to grow more and on top of that Joshka had like a sprained ankle that kept him out of a lot of camp um, which made things even tougher last year um, to me I think he's the favorite to get this job I think that 
you look at the things he did, you know, there's some other stats that are really great for Joshka. Um, for example, Colorado tracks quarterback pressures. Um, Pro Football Focus does too, and they count them differently, and we'll just talk about them those numbers too, I guess. But Joshka actually had the most quarterback pressures last season uh, on the entire team, and that's based on how Colorado counts them. Um, he had seven of those pressures. Um, second place was a tie between Carson and Mustafa, who each had five. Now, I don't think those count the sacks, and so those guys probably had some sacks where Joshka didn't convert his pressures into sacks at the same rate, and so you have to remember that. Um, I guess the other note here is Jamar and Guy each had one pressure each, although they were not out there for nearly as many pass rushing snaps. What, maybe half as many? Eh, two-thirds. Two-thirds as many. Um, so, yeah. Great little peripheral there. Worth noting. I don't think in his career, definitely not last year, Joshka didn't have a uh, a, a, a sack or even like a tackle for loss or even a tackle that was for zero. And so, again, we talked about Carson what you love the most about Carson is not just that he was like playing well last year. It's that he produced, he gave you the plays that change games. You know, when when you're playing defense, fumble recoveries and interceptions, those are the, the stat that mean the most. And again, some of those stats can be luck, but that means you're actually getting the ball back from there. The most impactful stats on a game are sacks tackles for loss because you're you're knocking them backwards you're changing everything and Carson produced in actually all of those areas um, whereas Joshka did not produce although those peripheral numbers which do still have an impact you know if you're making things hard on the quarterback that's that is great it's just not as great as actually bring him to the ground and making it you know, second and 17 instead of second and 10. So from a purely numbers perspective, there's a lot to like. There's obviously another step that needs to come um, for him to, you know, you know, not even make the leap that Carson made, but get himself into true starter territory. And on top of that needs to produce more in the run game. Um, Again, you didn't see much of it last year. 23% of his snaps, he was out there defending the run. Um, that's less than half as much as Guy Thomas. I don't think that that was just like a random chance sort of thing. And so you can kind of see the areas where the coaching staff is going to be looking for Joshka to improve. Um, if he wants to be a three-down defender, got to get better in run defense. Needs to penetrate, needs to be able to hold the edge. Um, and if he wants to be like a, a true pass rush special specialist, which doesn't really prevent him from being a three down guy, but you know, somebody you look at as a really good pass rusher, he needs to start converting some of these peripheral stats into actual production. 
Um, and again, he was kind of like the star of fall camp or one of the stars. Jarek made that list as well last year before he had the, the ankle injury this spring. There was a whole bunch of hype around Joshka as well. Um, there's a lot to like. And for that reason, like I said before, I do think that he's the starter. Although I don't think that it's clear cut. You know, I don't think he's like a prohibitive favorite. I would say it's probably, let's say, 45% Joshka. We'll say 35%, maybe even 40% um, guy. And then, so 35 plus 45, that's 70, that's 80. Then 20%, we're going to say 15% Jamar and say 45 and then 40, and then 15. Wow, I should have I should done that math before we started recording. Um, but yeah, and the reason for that is I think that I think that this is a position where you're not you're not like out there hoping. I mean, maybe you are hoping somebody goes out there and is so good that they just win the job. But you're absolutely fine with a rotation because. If you're playing, whatever, 30 snaps a game instead of 50 snaps a game, you're not going to be nearly as tired. And there's there's something to be said for getting into a rhythm and being out there every snap. And there are some positives. But having full energy and maybe even being like hungry because you know you don't get quite as many opportunities can help as well. But the big thing is you want guys out there to be fresh. And if the margins between all two or two of these guys or three of these guys, or maybe somebody else jumps into the picture here, makes it four, that that freshness is something that is a positive that will likely mean you want to split those snaps. And if there is a kind of a, a rotation here instead of just a true starter, I think the starter is guy just because you want him out there on first and second down. You know, you want him out there as a run defender more than anything else. And the way things worked last year could be pretty similar to how they work this year with guy going out there first down, Josh got their third downs. And then they kind of split the second downs based on, you know, is it, is it second and three? Is it second and 10 where you know that they're passing, you know, with Jamar kind of being the rotational piece but maybe maybe Jamar deserves more credit because he did get the start when Guy was healthy there late in the season. Um, what was that? That would have been the the Utah game. Could also be a snap count thing for Guy. Who knows? Um, reading a lot into those numbers, though. Um, I think that's kind of the big thing, all the, the big points for that that second starting outside linebacker job. I do think that it's going to be one of those three. You know, there, there are a couple other guys, um, Devin Grant, Alvin Williams. Alvin Williams was somebody that we heard a lot about this spring. They're young, though, and because they're young and because... Yeah, I, I think mostly just because they're young. Alvin's going to be like a second-year true freshman, Devin Grant, it's going to be what? He's going to be a, a redshirt freshman, but he was also that last year. It's his third year on campus. Um, same as Joshka, but, you know, Joshka cracked the rotation last year, and that should count for something. Um, 
Yeah. <sighs> Anything else? Um, we'll, we'll talk some more about kind of the, the depth here. Um, more so like the, the lack of depth. Um, but I think in terms of that other starting job, those are kind of the key points. You know, when we talk about the inside linebackers, you know, one of them is Nate Landman. And we know what Nate does really well. He plays downhill really well, whether that's in the running game, whether that's as a blitzer in the passing game, whatever. He is much better at that than he is going backwards or going side to side. You look at the candidates to start next to him and you say, hey, maybe maybe you lean towards somebody who is better in coverage to kind of compensate a little bit. And we've talked about this and you can go back and listen to that podcast. If you haven't already, um, we did basically what we did today, but with the inside linebackers. Um, and there's absolutely something to that, trying to get that right combination, a cover guy with a, a run game guy. Yeah. Great. But when you run the, the type of defense, the buffs run the one gap scheme, everybody attacking their gap responsible for that gap the most important thing is still, and this is something we heard from the linebackers coach, most important thing is still being able to to fulfill your duties in the run game. And that doesn't mean like whoever's the best run defender is going to get the job. It just means that there's like this baseline level that you have to hit to be in the conversation. Um, if, if the coach doesn't trust you to be in the right place and to not blow your assignment when you are in the right place um you're just not going to get that job because it is what's most important even if it does make a lot of sense to get a cover guy now i think robert barnes jack lamb whoever is going to be just fine right there doing that um but you know the, the point of all this i guess is to say you have a nate lamb and you say you want a cover piece when you look at the outside linebackers I don't think that there's like a similar thing at play. And on top of that, you know, there isn't like a weakness with Carson that you want to compensate for. Um, you know, you look at the other outside linebacker spot. And again, I think the, the number one thing is going to be, you got to be able to defend the run and more so just know what you're supposed to do, not blow assignments. Um, a lot of the time you're just out there setting the edge and, you know, that is what is most important as a starter. From there, though, you know, that's kind of the baseline thing. And it isn't coverage that's the number two from that spot. It's the pass rushing that's that's kind of the number two, but also maybe the number one with the caveat you have to hit that baseline level of ability in the run game as well. Um, so I don't think that that really skews in anybody's favor. I mean, I guess we, we can say Joshka, like we mentioned earlier, probably does need to get a little bit better in the run game just because he wasn't used that much there. And who knows? Maybe that was um, the coaches saying, hey, guy is completely equal with Josh Joshka in the run game. So let's use him there so that Joshka's fresh in pass rushing situations because he's the better pass rusher. That could be what's going on. Or it could be that he wasn't good enough in the run game to get those reps point is i mean the point is i feel like i've said everything there is to say oh there was one more thing that i wanted to touch on oh so joshka hit the quarterback six times last season four of them came in the final two games of the year so again you're looking at the trajectory 
that's one more piece that says, hey, Joshka just kind of keeps getting better. That's what you want to see as a guy, especially a young guy, producing more at the end of the season than the start. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're going to take one more quick break. We're going to talk about the, the depth at the position when that break is over. And we're talking about... Uh, oh, there it is. Manscaped. If you haven't jumped on the Manscaped train yet, now is absolutely the time. Um, the summer is the time. And the reason why is they have a bunch of products that can make your summer a lot better. You know, everybody sweats in the summer, but there's some sweat that people don't talk about. And that is the sweat that Manscaped can help with. Um, the crop preserver, I swear, is like just crucial to any activity. You just slather yourself up all over and you'll be happy you did it. They've got a bunch of other products, the Crop Reviver. The, they have like wipes that are incredible as well. If you need just like a quick refresher, I guess the Crop Reviver is like an even quick, quicker refresher. But yeah, so many of those great formulations. And I've told you about the Lawnmower 4.0 before. It's uh, the best body hair trimmer on the market. Um, I think it's what? It's 7,000 RPM. There's a LED light. There's a bunch of like features. There's a bunch of, it's like adjustable in terms of the length. Um, just a really great product that has so far been great for me since what? It's been like three months, maybe even more that we've had these. Um, and I haven't heard anybody I work with complain. So uh, definitely check all that out. There's a bunch of awesome packages that you can get from Manscaped. Um, whether it's the perfect package, whether it's the performance package, and those will come with different combinations of the trimmer. There's like a nose hair trimmer and I guess nose slash ear hair, but I don't have ear hair. So it's a nose hair trimmer. Um, I guess I should say I don't have that yet. Um, and then they'll come with like different formulations. There's come with like boxes or something. So definitely get on the website, check all that out. And don't forget to use our code because we can get you a great discount from Manscaped. Um, and I finally found the code. Uh, if you use the code DMVR at manscaped.com, you can get 20% off and free shipping. Again, that's code DMVR at manscaped.com. To get 20% off and free shipping, escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. All right. So, the future of this position, the outside linebacker position. Obviously, Josh is a young player. He absolutely factors into this conversation. And he's somebody who at this point you expect to at some point be, whether that's this season or the next season or even the season after that. And then he'd even have one more after that one. He's These guys are around for a long time because of that COVID thing. Um at some point, he's going to be a starter, though. I am confident in saying that. Question is, because you need two starters, who is the other? And that was supposed to be Jason Harris, who was one of the highest-rated recruits in last year's recruiting class. He, uh, he was like a four-star. He was also a four-star basketball player, like six foot eight, a whole bunch of awesome traits, had like a great attitude about football. Um, I remember talking to Brian Michalowski about him um, 
and him saying like, yeah, b even when he was in high school, just like sending me clips and saying, what do you think of this? What da, 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 taking notes? Da, 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 da. He was thinking football and uh, there was a lot of excitement. But he entered the transfer portal, wound up going to Arizona. He's from Arizona. His brother plays at Arizona. I don't look at this as like, you know, and I guess I don't have insight here into why he left. But my read on the situation is there's a probably at least two to one chance. I'll say at least two to one that he is just wanting to get closer to his family with like the other one to two chance, I guess, being that there was a reason to transfer. And I'm saying at least it could be three to one, four to one. And I'd probably say it's more likely to be three to one or four to one, but I'm more confident at least two to one. Um, that's not the point of this podcast though. The point of this podcast is that he's gone now and there is absolutely a hole, you know, Alvin Williams, Devin Grant. We actually heard good things about both of them. I can't remember what the comp was for Devin Grant. Um, but there was a good one from Brian Michalowski. Um, oh, I think it was Robert Barnes actually, which is interesting because obviously a little bit different position. Um, but maybe somebody you look at as more of a, cover guy from that spot or i mean just with that athleticism you might be just fine going downhill anyway um be interesting to hear about these two during camp because there was some hype um i, I personally think that brian michalowski is a, a very good coach and a coach who has a, a bright future in the college football world going forward um and because of that i i think that these players will continue to improve over the next couple of years. And the only other guy on the roster at the outside linebacker position we haven't talked about, Zion Magale, who is going to, he must be on campus now, but he's going to be a true freshman this year, like first year true freshman, not like some of these weird true freshmen we've had. Um, and so, yeah, I, there's definitely a lack of depth and who knows what happens with Jamar Guy. You know, they're, they're juniors this year. I think they're both redshirt juniors, so they've played a lot of college football. It should be their senior year, but because of COVID, the, the accounting is different, and so they could come back for the 2022 season. We'll see how that plays out, but there's a world in which they both just decide to leave, and that means you've got Joshka, who may not even have a year as a starter under his belt. You're saying, okay, well, now Josh has got to be that guy, and we need Alvin or Devin likely to step up with a chance that Zion is ready by then. And I think they've already got um, another outside linebacker committed in the 2022 class who's on the way. Um, I will say this, though. I do think that if Jamar or Guy does leave, either one of them, Colorado probably looks to the transfer portal, um, probably for a senior, not somebody who's like, uh, you know, Jack Lamb, I think is, is, is a sophomore again this year. He could have three years of eligibility. Personally, I think he's not going to see the field much this year, but they're hoping the year after and the year after that, he could be a contributor. And I could be wrong in their thinking. I could be right in their thinking, but he's good enough to play this year. Um, but that's kind of my read. I don't think that's who they look for. I think because you have some of these younger guys coming through, you kind of just need that patch. 
potentially. And that's if Jamar or Guy leaves. Um, and if they both leave, I still think maybe that's where you look at um, a, a two-year player instead of a one-year player. But you do still have some numbers. Um, you're probably just adding more freshmen. I wouldn't be surprised to see another freshman. I think I, I firmly expect to see another freshman outside linebacker in this class. Um, but, you know, things are weird now. How many scholarships do you really want to be giving out when you know that there's going to be a transfer portal full of players after the year? And maybe Colorado just says, hey, we're looking for transfer portal guys next year. And if Jamar and Guy come back, you know, one of them plays really well. And who Carson could come back too. I just think he's so good that, you know, his timeline before last year was supposed to be this is his last year. And if he does put up numbers like he did last year, the decision should be pretty easy for him to head to the next level. Um, so I guess that's an assumption that we didn't even talk about. But even if Jamar and Guy come back, say Carson leaves, you still got Joshka. In that world, I still think that they might be willing to plan to take a portal guy just because, again, Jamar, Guy, and even Joshka, you know, they were good last year. They were they were fine last year. You know, I think in baseball they always talk about like the value above replacement players. And I think that those are probably like replacement player level guys. Like they're power five starters. They're not the reason why you're winning a Pac-12 title, or at least they weren't last year. Any one of them could take the jump this season. I've made it pretty clear. I think that Josh is probably the most likely to do that. Um, but yeah, the point of all this is I do think not right now, but next year there's a, a portal opportunity. Uh, it could be that they go after some younger guys and they could go after younger guys. And one of these guys leaves and they still go to the portal. Um, so definitely, I don't want to say like thin because they have what they have Carson, They've got Guy, they've got Jamar, they've got Joshka. That's four guys you're happy putting on the field. And you're never have. That's not true. I could see situations where they run more than two out there um, just because, like, specific pass rush situations, because of the state of the defensive line, you could see them throwing an extra guy out there from that spot. The point is, there's two starting spots. You've got four guys you're comfortable with. You could have even more than that this year if Alvin and Devin continue to get better. So I don't want to say it's, like, thin, there just aren't a lot of players, um, especially compared to, you know, like the tight end position where there's still 12 on the roster. I think they're down to 11 on the roster. So, yeah, um, I think that's everything. Quick recap. Carson Wells is really, 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 really good. Joska, Jamar, Guy, you're fine putting him out there borderline happy putting him out there and any one of them could take a step. I think Joshka is the most likely and uh, he's got a few years left to play. And based on what we've heard, the coaches seem to think that he could be really good too. Um, the younger guys, not a lot of them, but you know, we've heard good things. So that's going to do it for today. I'll be back tomorrow with another podcast and I will see you guys then.